We're going to be in James 2, continuing this series through the fall of faith, hope, and love. And we're in the fourth week of talking about faith. So before we jump into the word, let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you my Lord and my Redeemer, so that we as a community can hear your words and that you through your spirit would speak truth that moves us to action. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. On the first week, one of the definitions we looked at of faith was from a guy named N.T. Wright. And he said this as a definition for faith. He said, faith is looking to God and trusting him with everything. Hopefully some of you remember that. Hopefully it sat with you a little bit because that is a large, large definition that we look to God, which means we define reality differently. We trust him. I love the word trust. Love that word trust. We trust him with everything. That's the challenge. That's where we, we've been sitting. And what does that mean? How does that work through us? What does it mean for our life in general? So we come to James chapter 2 this morning, verses 14 through 24. And uh, just a great, great passage. James is one of the more challenging books. We've had theologians through the centuries who've wanted to get rid of James. Because it doesn't totally line up with some of the other teachings in the New Testament. James is a fabulous book. It's written in this very Jewish context. Paul, or the writer of James is writing to a, um, a group of people who would be very pious Jews. Very spiritual Jews. And they're using this, this spiritual, the spirituality to sort of move towards war, move towards zealotry. A lot of what the writer of James is arguing against is to say, no, a true faith does something different. If you really have the faith of Christ in you, it will work out of you, but in a very, very different way. And we see words that we don't see in some of the other books. We see words like righteousness and justify. And these are all Jewish words. They take us back to creation. They take us to Abraham. They tell us about a God who is always pursuing his people, the people who had rebelled against him in the garden, and trying to have a relationship with them again. And that's the God of the whole scripture. That's the God that we see in James. And that's the God of this faith that is in us. So let's start reading in verse 14. We're going to go down through 24, and we'll sort of break it down as we go. Verses 15 through 17 are this little part, 17 through 19, and then 20 to 24. So let's read verses 14 through 17. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Some of your Bibles may say works. And that's literally what it means. It's the same word as in Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation. It's literally something you do. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. The writer of James is hitting to one of the commandments they had in Deuteronomy 15, where they were supposed to care for the poor. 
And he used this sort of facetious little thing. Suppose somebody comes to you, needs food, needs to be cared for, and you simply say to them, go in peace. That's the Jewish greeting or the Jewish sending of someone. Go in peace. Be warm. Jerusalem was elevated very high in the winter to be very cold. Basically what this would be like in our time, it's sort of like somebody comes to you and says, middle of Minnesota winter, I'm coming on my sixth winter, so I'm starting to get used to them. I understand them. But suppose somebody comes up to you, they need clothing, they need food. They come to you and you say, wow, you do need clothing and food. You know what? Go in peace, be warm, goodbye, you shut your door. That's essentially what they're saying here. Is that what your faith is working out of you? If that is the faith you have, the faith is useless. That's what the word dead means. That faith is useless. Then we go into the next part. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This is the second part of the story here. That statement, you believe there is one God. For the Jews, it was the Shema. Deuteronomy 6. It was the core of what they believed. They would call it their doctrine statement. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It, it was, it defined them. And the writer says, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons get that. Even the demons get the doctrinal say, and it sort of makes them shudder. But it's not causing them to do something as the story that we just heard about. And then we go down to verse 20. The writer gets good. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham is the father of their faith. He's the one they redeemed and looked to above all others. He's the one that defined hospitality even for them. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. God called Abraham out of his family into this new reality. He believed it and acted on it. and was credited to him as righteousness. And listen to this. He was called God's friend. Because of that, he was called God's friend. And then verse 24. You see that people are justified by what they do and not by faith alone. There's a lot going on here. There's an illustration of hospitality that's saying if your faith does not work out of you where you open your hands and you serve people in need, then is it faith? You may be able to write down what you believe about God, the Bible, Jesus Christ. But if you are not opening your hands and serving others, is it faith? 
Because Abraham, the forefather of our faith, got it to the point of the radical story where God says to him, take your son up the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. Now think about it. The blessing Abraham was to receive, one part of it was children that would be beyond the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach. And he has one son at this point. And what does he do by faith? Takes the son walks up the mountain, believing somehow that God is still a good God. Turn back a couple of pages to Hebrews 11. We've been in that a little bit. And the writer of Hebrews tells the same story, but in a little bit different way in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. He connects it somehow to this this idea of resurrection because I think what we're being called to when we talk about faith plus works is something bigger than just working and working and working and doing more and doing more and doing more. It's actually this resurrection type of faith. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice His one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And listen to this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so of a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. He had such a crazy faith that he said, God is asking me to do what seems crazy, what seems impossible, what seems inane. But I'm going to do it because I believe God can do the impossible. If my faith is true, then when God calls, I act. I know about you, that's hard for me to comprehend. I think what we see again and again in this story in James 2, but I think it's this idea that true faith always opens its hands and shares. Abraham is willing to just say, God, I'm following you up the mountain. The story in the first part of James 2, 14 to 24, is this idea that you have faith and you're not going to help the person who comes to your door? Really? You're going to say, go in peace, keep warm? True faith always shares. And I think as you look at Scripture, it shares faith. It shares justice. It shares forgiveness. It shares food. It shares clothing. It shares time. It shares hospitality. It shares a smile. It shares the act of discipleship, of pouring into others. True faith always expresses itself by sharing. A few weeks ago, I was just reading through this passage, trying to begin to sit in it. And right away, one question jumped into my mind. As I read down through James 2, 14 to 24, and the question was this. As I think about both of the stories... What is God by faith calling you, calling me to do that seems absolutely crazy? What is God calling you to do that seems crazy? I was paging through the CPC Life and a couple of really cool stories, I think, of people who get James 2. 
There is a faith story about Melissa Clark, one of our high schoolers. She went on a trip to Zambia this summer and she tells this story. She said, one of the churches we visited had a program that feeds 60 kids one meal a week. Kids walk a long way to get it and all have HIV in our orphans. Then we heard the program was shutting down. Keeps hearing this, we heard because of funding. Since coming home, we started an organization called Feed Zambia. Our goal is to feed 200 kids three times a week for a year through a Jubilee Center feeding program. We plan to raise 32,000 by next summer. We started two weeks ago and it's already raised 5,000. She has faith, faith that's leading to action. She heard God and she's doing, for a high school girl to be worried about starving kids in Zambia is crazy. Most of it, don't worry about kids, just get good grades, get into the right school, have the right friends, do that. Don't worry about, no. Faith leads to action. There's a little thing a couple of pages earlier where it talks about people in our community living missionally. It tells about two ladies, two women, Christy and Aaron, from our Sunday night community who have decided to move into the Whittier neighborhood through Urban Homeworks and live as urban neighbors. That's crazy. 20-something single females should live in Uptown and have a good time. They shouldn't go live in Whittier neighborhood in a fourplex and live in a missional way, right? No. True faith does crazy things because it opens its hands and it shares with the people around it. I had one of these, I think sometimes in church we hear stories about things going on. It's always the big. Because most of you are not going to move into the Whittier neighborhood as urban neighbors. You may not start a feeding program in Zambia, but I had one of these God saying something and it seemed crazy uh, experiences recently. I was driving home from work and part of being a pastor at CPC is you have to have your quiet time when you leave the building after work all the way home. You have to spend time with God the whole time, deep in prayer. That's not true. Um, It was one of those days where I just needed to spend some time with God and listen to God. So K-Fan turned off, you know, really sacrificing, spending some time with God. And had this cool interaction with God and just sensed a call on God, from God. And the call was, there was this person that had asked me to forgive them. And for a a short period of time, I was saying, I just, I'm not ready. And heard God say, you need to text that person and forgive them. And so, yes, I did some drive texting. I'll never do it again, I swear. But I texted him and said, I forgive you. And the reality is, that's crazy faith. The only time the disciples ask for faith in the Gospels is when Jesus talks about forgiveness. So I ask the question again, what is God, by the faith in Christ that is in you, calling and leading you to do? What is it? And here's the thing. I think the challenge for you and the challenge for me is simply the listening part. Abraham heard God. Melissa heard God. Christy and Aaron heard God. I had one of those rare moments where I heard God. I think the challenge for us is listening to God. We have so much that gets in the way, whether it's comfort, time, schedule. 
But I think the challenge is listening to God. So what I want to do today, it's a little bit different than what we normally do, is I want to end the message before we go into communion with what's called a Lectio Divina. And we're going to do it a little different. We won't take quite as long. But I'm going to take a passage from James. I'm going to read it through twice, very slowly, with a pause in between. And the whole point of it is that it's an invitation for you to stop and listen. It's also a tool for you to use when you leave this building. It doesn't have to just be done in church. It's a way that you can hear God. You can clear out everything else. So the first time through as I read this passage from James, I'm going to ask you just to ask God to give you a word from the passage. Just say, God, please just help one word to stick with me. Maybe it's a little phrase. Maybe it's a thought. But to have something that sticks with you. We're going to pause for a second. I'm going to ask you just to sit with that for a moment. Second time through, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. I'm going to ask you to ask God to tell you what crazy thing he actually wants you to do. To speak to you. And that you would be in the moment so you could hear that and listen to it. So first time through, as I read through it, you can look at it on the screen or you can close your eyes. But listen for a word, a thought, or a phrase that sits with you as we walk through this Lectio Divina. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. Take a moment just to sit with that and sit with the word or phrase God gave you. the second time through, invite God to, to say that crazy thing that he wants you to do. It could be big, it could be small. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead.
I invite you to please take this seriously. Whatever God said to you, write it down, put it on your PDA, mark it on your hand. I was thinking last night at the end of the service, what if 2,000 plus CPCers this week went out and did one intentional act of faith? Wouldn't that be cool? It'd be pretty awesome. One of the ways that you can help it stick with you as you walk through the communion line, there will be people on both sides that would love to pray with you. And maybe one of the things you do is just walk up and say the word or say the thing God gave you and just let them pray it over you. That you would have the strength and courage from God by faith to act on that. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you for the beauty of the faith you've given us. That you are the God who comes down, who gets dirty, who dies, who rises again, who gives life. But Lord, I pray that we would be people of life. That we would live in such a different way because of the faith you have given us that would always produce action fueled by you. We pray this in your name. Amen.